0: the financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, FinTech, and much more. Enjoy this episode.
1: Welcome to our Toronto Centre USAID webinar on First Steps Integrating Gender into Technology-Enabled Supervision. There are over 100 registrants from over 20 countries attending. We're pleased to have an expert panel with us Uh, which we'll introduce shortly. But first, I would now like to ask Babak Abazadeh, President and CEO of the Toronto Centre, to make his opening remarks. Thank
2: you very much, uh, Anatole. Um, Welcome to today's webinar titled First Step, Integrating Gender into Technology-Enabled Financial Sector Supervision. This global event is the culmination of extensive work by Toronto Centre and its dialogue with supervisory authorities in Colombia Kenya and Zambia, as well as the USAID and their affiliate, Invest DAI, We're most grateful for USAID's general support for this project. Since establishment in 1998, Toronto Centre has trained more than 15,000 supervisors from 190 jurisdictions to build more stable, inclusive financial systems. We were the first financial supervisory training organization to focus on gender equality and the sustainable development goals. Women's ability to save, borrow, and control their money and to insure themselves and their assets reduces poverty and promotes better health and nutrition outcomes for their families. Through our various programs, we have known for some time that there is a persistent gender gap between men's and women's usage of financial services and risks faced by women and men in personal, family, business, and financial decisions are different. The USAID-funded project confirmed that there's also insufficient sex-disaggregated data on which supervisors and financial services providers can evaluate and act. Prevailing research shows that using sex-disaggregated data can make a difference by better understanding the needs of women and girls. Promoting digital inclusion that extends financial services to the poor and rural women, and enabling proportional and risk-based supervisory approaches to requirements like Know Your Client. Our objective was to develop a toolkit that will make it easier for financial regulatory authorities to better consider gender in their supervisory practices, how technology could help them to do so, and what might get in the way. Today, we're pleased to provide you with a glimpse at the toolkit that will be released later this year. We believe that gender is relevant to prudential and conduct of supervision and consumer protection. The toolkit allows authorities to explore the connection between gender awareness, supervision, and sustainable financial inclusion. Authorities use of sex disaggregated data and technology can support gender aware supervision. Developing an overall subtech roadmap for the authorities information technology infrastructure development can make it easier to incorporate a gender dimension by reducing the extra investment needed to collect and use sex disaggregated data. Finally, supervisors can start to become gender aware with relatively small amounts of data and existing uh, it's tools. According to the IMF, risks to financial stability increase when access to credit is expanded without proper supervision. Unfortunately, countries with the biggest gaps in financial access also tend to have the lowest supervisory quality. So investing in high quality supervision can pay big dividends as financial inclusion expands. In this context, employing the toolkit is a key way for authorities to begin integrating gender and technology into their supervision. Moreover, supervisors must strike a balance between mitigating risks to financial stability while promoting innovation and protecting consumers. Innovations in subtech can make important contribution to this effort. Furthermore, our training programs can help supervisors address these challenges. We look forward to incorporating the toolkit strategies into our capacity building programs. We also look forward to continuing our work with the USAID in the future. We are grateful to have expert panels today that come from the Global Affairs Canada, USAID, UNCDF, and the IMF, which are key to delivering development aid and technical assistance around the world. Their perspectives on gender and financial inclusion are important because over 1 billion women worldwide do not have access to formal financial services. The objectives of this undertaking are closely aligned with the mission of Toronto Centre. Therefore, I would like to thank our other highly valuable partners, Global Affairs Canada, Swedish International Development Cooperation Agency, the IMF, Jersey Overseas Aid and Comic Relief, and USAID, sorry, and UNCDF, my apologies, who support our mission, as does USAID. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the panel. Anatole, back to you, thanks.
1: Thank you, Babak, for that excellent context setting. A key part of the project as um, Babak mentioned is a toolkit to assist supervisors on their journey to gender awareness and supervision. I would like to call upon Jennifer Long, program leader and the toolkit's principal designer to provide a little more of uh, of a glimpse into the toolkit.
3: Thank you, everybody. So I'm going to give you an introduction to the the toolkit uh, and how it can be used by um, supervisory authorities. So the toolkit builds on some work that we completed last year, uh, also funded by USAID. Where we work with partner authorities in South America and Africa to see how they were using sex disaggregated data and technology in relation to financial inclusion. Uh, and on the right you can see the team that developed the toolkit and then the bullets the three topics that I'll cover in this presentation, what's in it, why we designed it the way we did, and crucially how it can help you. So what's in the toolkit? There are six modules. Modules A1 to A3 are about setting strategic direction. They help authorities to understand the connections between gender, supervision and technology, to baseline their starting position in these areas and in financial inclusion, and then to set their priorities, for next steps towards greater maturity. And then modules B1 to B3 help staff in the authorities to translate that strategic direction into practice in their supervision and their technology development. We think that authorities will get the most benefit out of using the whole toolkit, but modules B1 about planning technology development and B2, which is about incorporating gender in different aspects of supervision, can also be used as standalone modules and I'll say more about them in the next slides. For each of these modules, we provide a suite of tools to support the rollout of the toolkit. And these are designed to be used by a coordinator within the supervisory authority who can use the guidance to tailor the materials so they fit the needs of each particular authority. Each module has a coordinator guide, participant guide, workshop materials and a guide to the output and follow up from each module. Several guide- modules also have a topic guides, which explain key concepts and reference relevant international standards. And they also provide case studies and other examples of practical techniques for implementation. So, for example, in Module B1 on developing a subtech roadmap, we have guides to assessing your authority's technology infrastructure along several key dimensions, a guide on how to assess Uh, and identify the interdependencies between those dimensions and use them to help your planning and a guide to available tools and standards for enhancing your authority's use of technology for supervision. So let's turn now to how the toolkit covers supervision itself. We cover how gender relates to both prudential and conduct supervision, as well as to financial inclusion and we show how these strands can interconnect. For example, action you may take for Prudential reasons to improve the gender balance on providers' boards can also bring inclusion benefits. Similarly, action you take to ensure that providers design and market products appropriately can bring financial inclusion as well as conduct and consumer protection benefits. This approach can help authorities to see where and how gender can be incorporated in their day to day supervision and where doing so can bring financial inclusion as well as other regulatory benefits. In module B2, we drill down in more detail to three topics, gender balance in providers leadership and operations, product design and customer complaints. And in each case, we provide tools and examples to help authority staff consider what they can do at each stage of the supervisory life cycle to build in a gender dimension, what data they need, how to get it and how to use it. We give examples that are data light and only require quite limited aggregated data reporting by providers in order to get started because much can be done even where um, more granular customer or transaction level data is not available. And we also give examples of what can be done at different stages of subtech maturity. Again, authorities can use this to make a start with their current tools, as well as to identify potential priorities for future, for future development. So now I'd like to say a word briefly about why we designed the toolkit this way. In the first phase of the work that I referred to earlier, we saw that a lot of authorities' contribution to financial inclusion using sex disaggregated data was around gathering data for other parties to use to enhance gender equality or inclusion. And there was less clarity and fewer supporting tools available about where and how supervisory authorities themselves could play a leadership role and embed gender enabled by that sex disaggregated data in their day to day supervision. So we've really focused on uh, in this toolkit designing uh, materials that help supervisory authorities take action themselves to become an agent of change in relation to gender and inclusion. We also heard very clearly from our partner authorities while authorities face many common challenges, they each have specificities about their context, and that meant that a one-size-fits-all approach would not work. So we've designed this toolkit in a way that guides the user on how to tailor it to their authority's particular situation. That includes designing the materials in a way that the coordinator can adapt them and focus on the parts that are most relevant for your situation. And you can see this on the slide. We have... um, Uh, slides from two workshops that we ran, one with SFC in Colombia and one with the Central Bank of Kenya. Uh, We ran a third also uh, with the Bank of Zambia, where we used a common set of tools, but we tailored them uh, with input from the authorities um, to the particular situation of each authority. And another way in which we made the toolkit adaptable was to use the concept of different generations of maturity. In this, we were inspired by a 4G subtech matrix developed for the Bank of International Settlements. And you can see a summary of that in the technology and data line on the slide. For the toolkit, we developed a similar 4G approach for the supervision, gender and inclusion dimensions. So behind the summary you see on this slide lies a further matrix which gives a breakdown of the characteristics of each generation for each of those four dimensions. So if you use the toolkit, You will decide which generations best reflect where you're starting from on each of these dimensions and where you're aiming to get to. And this will help ensure that action planning using the toolkit is realistic and really relevant, whatever your authority's starting point. So in conclusion, I hope you're starting to see how the toolkit can help you as a supervisory authority. And it's really designed to be practical and help you make the best use of the data and tools we already have, as well as building your capacity to do more and building gender into your day-to-day activities. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Jennifer, for that overview and for your work on the project, along with our other two program leaders, uh, Petronella chigera Ditma and uh, Ernesto Bordeson. So I know that the audience is eager to hear from our panelists and uh, we'll be taking your questions in the Q&A uh, shortly after these introductions. So let's say hello to our panelists who represent our founders and funders, uh, starting with our sponsor representative, uh, Paul Nelson, Digital Senior Digital Finance Advisor at the United States Agency for International Development. Uh, Andrew Hurst, Director, uh, Global Affairs Canada. Uh, Jennifer Elliott, Division Chief International Monetary Fund, and uh, Marianna Lopez, uh, Gender and Policy Advocacy Lead, United Nations Capital Development Fund. You can see their profiles on our registration page. So once again, we welcome the questions from the audience. But first, panelists, uh, uh, in your opening remarks, let's unpack the webinar theme. Thinking about gender awareness, technology, and financial supervision, do these topics go well together, and why would they be important to to your organization?
4: Paul, let's start with you. Uh, Thanks, Anatole, and thanks, Jennifer, for the presentation. Uh, Everyone, uh, glad to have you here. Um, for, For us, I think certainly there's a link. In fact, that was one of the hypotheses that we had uh, when we when we uh, had the opportunity to fund this work with the Toronto Center, uh, the hypothesis that uh, there was untapped value in how sex or segregated data could inform supervisory uh, priorities and um, and also um, once it's better used by industry as well as by authorities, uh, ideally be a means to address. Uh, certain gender divides that are apparent in the financial sector. Um, But to do that, we also recognized that there are some dependencies that supervisory authorities and industry uh, rely on. They need to have the right types of data sources. They need the right types of uh, IT systems and capabilities to be able to analyze data effectively. Uh, And they also need to have, as you were saying earlier, uh, for the module A, Uh, set of tools. Uh, They need to have a strategic direction and um, set of priorities defined so that this actually links up or graphs well onto their traditional uh, supervisory objectives.
1: Okay,
5: thank you, Paul. Uh, Andrew, would you like to go next? Yes, uh, thanks, Anatole, and good morning, uh, good afternoon, good evening, everyone, uh, fellow panelists and participants joining us from around the world. Uh, First of all, I'd like to thank the Toronto Centre for organizing this event. Uh, The Toronto Centre has been a long-standing partner of the government of Canada uh, in promoting stable and inclusive financial systems around the world. And perhaps I'll just make a couple of comments uh, for the more general context and then get to the question, which I think will explain why Canada supports this important work. Um, So Canada, as many of you know, has a feminist international assistance policy, which is grounded in our belief that uh, gender equality and empowerment of women and girls is the most effective approach to eradicating poverty and building a more peaceful and inclusive um, uh, and prosperous world. And when women are able to realize their full economic potential, economies thrive and the benefits of growth reach more people. Now to realize this, we all have a role to play, including financial regulators and supervisors. and we're we're very pleased with USAID's decision to collaborate with the Toronto Center in examining the role of financial regulators to address financial inclusion for women. And we're also very pleased to see the IMF and the UNCDF uh, who are included in today's uh, discussions because they're both key institutions to these issues. This toolkit is is uh, is important because it responds to, uh, financial regulators and supervisors demand for practical, uh, a practical guide on integrating gender into their work. And the Toronto Centre is poised, uh, is well positioned to help, base, to help based on its solid international reputation and translating complex issues into practical techniques and guidance for their partners. So we do hope uh, that this toolkit will, will provide uh, some helpful knowledge um, once it's formally, uh, formally approved. And we look forward to hearing from financial authority partners as well on the value of the toolkit to the work. Um, so as, as we know, when the women have limited access to financial services, this, remain, this is a, a barrier for their economic empowerment. And for women to participate equally in economies, they must have greater access to and control over assets, such as land, housing, and capital. Uh, limited access to financial services, such as banking, credit, and insurance uh, make it difficult for uh, lower-income households to recover from events such as poor harvest or a health crisis, limited access to financial financing results, and lost economic opportunities. We all need to break down these barriers that limit women's access to financial services, and to do this, we need systemic changes. And this toolkit and Toronto Center's work more generally is an important part of this, uh, this effort. So there's three suggestions in responding to this this particular question and why this toolkit is important. First, we need to raise awareness amongst key stakeholders. And this kind of event that brings regulators and supervisors together is an important first step from our perspective. Second, the availability of technology today provides us with great opportunities, but we need to devote more effort on research and analysis to understand how best to do this. The study that's supported by USAID is a good example of this kind of work that we should be doing more of. And third, again, back to my um, uh, main point, and that is regulators and supervisors have a critical role to play. Women and other vulnerable populations uh, not having access to financial services is a key risk to our economies. So if there's a risk in this case, that means there's a role for supervisors and regulators. And these efforts are all linked and our, our interventions in this space will not be sustainable unless we're looking at one of these uh, specific areas. Thanks.
1: Thanks for that uh, great uh, summary, uh, Andrew. Um, Mariana Lopez of uh, UNCDF, uh, what are your thoughts?
0: I completely agree with what Andrew just said. Um, For us, when we work with policymakers on the ground, what we want to help them to do is to build gender-intentional policies that are sustainable. But for that to happen, we need a clear base to start with. We need to better understand the problem. And we always get the same question of, well, tell me again why this is important. Yes, financial inclusion for women and the benefit of, of financial products for women, yes. But what is my role as a supervisor in, in, in this whole thing? You know, if we already have a national financial inclusion strategy, why should I be worrying about these issues? And then the next question is, well, assuming that you know I have all this data, then what am I going to use it for? So, and that's where I see the value and the benefit in this toolkit. The first one is kind of breaking that out into the, the strategic part and the operational part. When you start thinking about the problem, the first question you need to ask is, well, what data is out there uh, and how am I gonna use it? How can I leverage low-hanging fruit? And then you know, thinking about more creatively, how do this, how does this translate into a proper investment? What else would I need to get to to actually you know, fill in those gaps? And I, well, yeah. And then the second component is the gender mainstreaming throughout the whole process. It, it is about understanding the importance of yes, women, but it's also about assessing whether you have that institutional readiness. Do you have the capacity and the diversity internally to truly live up to that commitment to gender equality? And how does that really yeah, is going to play out in practice? And again, then when you look at the toolkit and the way it's broken down into the different generations. That's when I see the value. It's about this holistic perspective of aligning the, well, the data with the actual supervisory cycle, but also understanding that it is a commitment to overall um, gender equality that has to be embedded into the whole institution for any change to be sustainable and meaningful.
1: Thank you, Mariana, and uh, Jennifer. Over to you. Uh, three, uh, three top, uh, three components. Uh, how do you uh, assess them?
6: Yeah, I think they also. I also agree that they go together. Um, it's good to agree with your fellow panelists, and just to think a little bit about a couple of the issues that Andrew and Mariana raised about why why should supervisors care. We've been struggling at the at the IMF to think about how does gender how does gender affect financial stability, and we see we see links. So we've done some work starting back in in twenty fifteen on what is the connection between financial stability and gender. And we do see a connection. We see when there are more women on boards, um, you have better resilient outcomes as as Jennifer Long presented. We also see that the more gender inclusion you have in a financial system, the more stable it is. And there's still work to be done on how to establish those channels. How does that exactly work? And I think about it like risk management, which is a bit what Andrew said, right? If, if, uh, If you have a more diverse set, then you have a better risk management we still have a long way to go, but I think it's important to think about the connection to financial stability, that that kind of warms supervisors hearts a little bit in thinking we're not doing something out of fairness. We all want fairness, but our job here is financial stability And, and thinking about financial inclusion and gender inclusion as financial stability topics, particularly in developing economies where this is very real. Will help And supervisors, um, I'll go back to Paul's comments, supervisors are really a catalyst in developing economies for pushing things ahead, in particular in risk management and and tooling up. Um, A lot of push comes from supervisors and, and some of those listening are probably thinking thanks a lot Jennifer more work for me, but if we think about it as 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 integral to the financial stability story and think about the role of supervisors in driving forward greater financial stability and better risk management practices, that I think it does very much fall in supervisors' uh, laps. And what I loved about the toolkit, watching it, it's it's really concrete, right? So supervisors are looking for concrete actions they can take. Um, And then just wheeling back to technology, I mean, technology is where we are. So this is the it's both the solution and the risk right now. And um, it's the solution for inclusion. That's a very well laid out story about a technology and inclusion, but it's also the solution for efficiency in supervisors. So again, better use of the data and, and how to toolkit it is going to be really helpful in resource-strapped supervisors. So um, I, I definitely think the topics go together. Thank
1: you, Jennifer. Um, the audience uh, has been listening intently. We're hoping that uh, we get a couple of uh, questions coming out, uh, but I'm going to take the moderator's prerogative and continue to uh, to probe. Uh, for uh, for uh, Marianna, Paul, uh, and Andrew, um, as funding organizations, what do you see as the most exciting opportunity to improve female financial empowerment? Uh, let's uh, let's start with Mariana.
0: I guess there are so many exciting opportunities if you put it that way. Um, and coming back to the point of, kind of data, I think that is the the cornerstone of anything that we choose to take forward. Whenever we think about a policy, a product, a service, an initiative, a program, we need a starting point, we need a benchmark. We really need to assess the situation um, to really understand what the problem is. And the, the worst thing that we can do is go with these assumptions that we have you know, a clear understanding of, of the problem and then try and implement something, be it, again, a policy, a product the service. And what we need is better quality data. We need, uh, And we need a cycle that, that provides it on a sustainable basis. That is, it's a journey. Whenever we think about um, collection and segregation, it's always like, oh, well, it's something that we need to hit. It's it's a benchmark in the future, when in reality, it's it's something that we need to build you know, gradually. It's a, a virtuous cycle of collecting it, informing policy, and then letting it you know, feedback again. Um, so when we think about opportunities, we think about, um, again, the, the capacity that is required to leverage this data and to collect it, but also to collaborate. And um, We need a, an ecosystem approach. We need to ensure that, yes, supervisors have access to this data, but to, for, to get to that point, we need to engage with the industry, we need to engage with providers, we need to understand their own limitations, their capabilities and their own focus. Uh, if we can articulate the value of data for all of the players, then we are in a much better place to get anything off the ground.
1: Thank you, Mariana. Um, Andrew?
5: Sure, thanks. I mean, there's, uh, there's obviously lots of, uh, lots of things that need to be addressed. I mean, I think I'd say the fir- one of the first, the biggest ones is the question of ID. Uh, we know how important civil registration and vital statistics are for governments, but for individuals and citizens, having an ID is the access to everything, uh, whether it's government services uh, and, and public, um, accessing public services or, or, or private services like banking and, and other financial services. So this, this is a critical, uh, a critical thing that needs to be improved, particularly for women. Um There are uh, also questions around, you know, uh, uh, lack of collateral. This continues to be an issue for for many women in in many societies where, for a variety of reasons, they don't uh, don't have or or don't have equal access to title on land and other kinds of assets that would be considered uh, collateral for accessing financial services. Um, There are certainly mobility constraints uh, amongst women, but there's also, uh, in some cases, uh, questions of financial literacy. Um, I mean, one of the other things uh, uh, which we know is critical to addressing um, women's economic empowerment are uh, sorts of regulatory barriers, um, including ones related to the collection of dissex disaggregated data. Uh, it's hard to develop policies and, and programs and, and tools without, the, without the, uh, this kind of information. So I think it was Peter Drucker who said many years ago, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And as half of uh, societies, uh, you know, if you don't understand your markets, uh, you're not going to be able to provide the kinds of targeted and tailored services that they need. And I would say that this extends beyond just the just sex disaggregated data. There's all sorts of other data that um, uh, financial service providers uh, should be collecting and, and looking to understand their markets. And this is a case where intersectionality uh, and is, uh, is as important as any other domain. So those are there's lots of areas that, that we could uh, and should be investing in and are, but those are some of the ones that uh, come immediately to mind.
1: Thanks for that uh,
4: that good list, Paul. Yeah, I, I would just building off of what uh, what you've just heard, um, I'm I might be a little biased because I'm a digital finance advisor, and so naturally I'm thinking first of technology as an opportunity both to extend financial services to to new people or to develop new ones or to enable different business models for providing useful financial services, and yet at the same time we at USAID are Fully cognizant uh, of the risks that uh, certain innovations can introduce as well, whether they're cybersecurity or consumer protection or uh, related to, to to data privacy or or even uh, unintended discriminatory impacts through uh, you know uh, algorithmic bias uh, with AI, for example, in the credit context. Um, but certainly, I think technology is an opportunity insofar as over the last few years, you know, there's there's seems to have been an upswing in the recognition of the imperative for women's financial inclusion women's economic empowerment uh as jennifer was noting also how that links to traditional financial sector objectives that there might be financial stability and so forth um and at the same time our ability to we re- use technology to uh to 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 pursue some of those uh ideas that we've developed is also catching up. So, you know, you have this conceptual framework that um, articulates links between women's economic empowerment and some of these objectives that we're discussing today. Um, and now you're beginning to uh, develop the technological readiness to put that conceptual framework into practice. Um, so I think that's an opportunity. And and just uh, building off of what Andrew mentioned about collateral, I remember an, an AFI survey a few years ago that had found that even though something like 60% of respondents identified uh, collateral as an obstacle for lending for women, there was something like 25% of authorities that actually had uh, policies or strategies in place for alternative data. So going back to this issue of data being an opportunity, different types of data being an opportunity to address longstanding uh, barriers to certain uh, types of financial services provision.
1: Thanks, Paul. Uh, so we're still waiting for our first question from the audience, but uh, Jennifer, I'm gonna put a little bit of a different spin on that question for you um, uh, that uh, the IMF does the financial sector assessment programs. Is, is this something, uh, female financial empowerment and inclusion, something that is going to f- make its way into the assessment process in the same way you have talked about incorporating climate risk uh, activities?
6: That's a good question, Anatole. I don't think we're there yet. As I mentioned, we're still thinking about how are the channels right for, for the impact of gender on financial stability and what does that really look like. But we do have something called the financial sector um, stability um, a set program which is which is actually a diagnostic for technical assistance, which we do in low-income countries, and we do want to wrap gender into that because we see gender inclusion as so much so uh, important in low-income environments where inclusion is low, where where capacity is low, and so we would like to start there um, and work a little bit to 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 connect these things where authorities are already. keen to think about how can they improve things. I must say the toolkit is very um, appealing uh, for that work. Um, I I think we we do want to build it into our capacity development a bit more. Um, The FSAP itself might be a little further out in the sense that more analytical work really does need to be done to make those connections and to, to ask what would you be looking for you know just listening to the last question and everyone else one thing i was thinking about is that supervisors themselves need a framework for this and i mean the toolkit will help right but paul was talking about a you know a framework to put it all in and andrew had a lot of examples and i think maybe thinking about a supervisory framework um that that helps supervisors to organize what the potential barriers are what the potential opportunities are would also be something Uh, work in progress for the international community generally going forward and then you know once we get past that maybe we think about FSAPs and how they would look at how supervisors are looking at it.
1: Thanks for that. I think it's important that uh, supervisors think of what's coming down the pipeline and not only in the framework of development but also in the oversight of supervisory activities and uh, you know maybe this is a call for the standard setters to start to think about that within there. So um, we're, uh, we have our first question. So instead of um, uh, my, uh, my list of, uh, of questions, why don't we uh, go to Andrea, uh, who says, you mentioned the inability of women legally to hold property or to uh, own accounts in their own names inhibits their access to official funding channels. What are your views as to how this problem can be remediated? So let me start with, uh, I think, uh, Andrew, you mentioned it first. Let's uh, start with you. How can uh, this uh, uh, access to property issue be uh, mitigated?
5: Well, thanks. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's not one that has a single solution and obviously it depends very much on the context that you're talking about. Um, there have been many efforts to address these questions through legal reforms, for example. Uh, legal reforms are not always easy to do and, uh, you know, require a pretty significant political engagement, um, particularly on the part of women's rights organizations, which, uh, you know, we, we've been uh, supporting for many years. And we recognize that these, the fact that these kinds of discriminatory legal um, uh, laws or, or legal situations persist is not by accident. And unless uh, unless those who are uh, are suffering a discrimination and in the face of it are able to organize and demand change. Nothing's going to happen. At the same time, there are other ways. I think that that uh, the issue can be addressed. You know, without without that kind of um, tackling those those uh, fundamental systemic issues. I mean, Paul mentioned that the um, uh, some financial institutions are experimenting with other forms of collateral or or other ways of. Uh, building assurance that that um, you know the loans they offer will be paid back. There's a lot. There's years of experience now from uh, from microcredit, some of which shows what works and some of which shows it doesn't. Um, but there are alternative ways of providing financial services that don't always uh, that aren't always based on on collateral uh, per se, or that aren't based on traditional forms of collateral. Um, so maybe those would be the two my two first first uh, and, and immediate responses. I'd uh, welcome okay. others views as well.
1: Thank you, Andrew.
0: Uh, uh, Mar- Mariana? I'm um, sure. Um, I think Andrew's right. just right. Sometimes um, it depends on the context. Sometimes it's about changing specific policies that prevent women from owning you know, land or property. Sometimes it's about being a bit more creative on the types of assets that you allow for collateral. Like you said, um, sometimes jewelry, for example, Um, can be taken as something and that's I I don't think there's a good example of that yet um, but it's something I definitely heard um, as as an option for women and yes there's definitely the opportunity to leverage technology uh, using for example the data of women's payments or um, through mobile money as a way to analyze um, their ability to repay um, a microloan for example that's a good and creative way to go around the situation but it also brings up the problem that certain things cannot be leapfrogged when it comes to social norms. Technology can only get us so far. And, and same for supervision. When we think, for example, like consumer protection and regulation, it's key that um, those are in place, but then we see behavioral change um, as the second part of the problem. So you can have this policy in place, but if in reality, women are not comfortable, if they don't understand their rights, if they don't have the capability, um, or in the literacy to engage with this products and services, then regulation can only go so far. And, and going back to the ecosystem approach and why um, supervisors need to think about financial literacy, but there's also a need to collaborate with the private sector and with donor civil society to ensure that we all are tackling the same problem because this entails systemic change and it's not something you're gonna fix you know, with one product in six months or a one given pilot. This is something that's gonna take 50 years at best.
1: Uh, Jennifer, do you want to comment on this at all?
6: I'm just violently agreeing, but feeling sad that 50 years was the time frame because I won't live long enough to see it. So, um, But I agree, and I, I just was thinking when when I was younger, I'm such an a action-oriented person, I would have thought all this talking would get you nowhere, but I actually think that talking is the important thing. It's what Marianna said, it's building those sort of behavioral changes in the consensus and the and the buy-in and putting some persuading people um, through whatever channel appeals to them, right? And us in our case, it's it's hardcore analytics. It helps people to understand how these things are connected, and I think more of that from everyone and coming together and having that discussion moves the behavioral needle.
4: Thank Anatole, you. if I, yep. uh, I I'd like to just uh, chime in and offer. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so I would I would. I completely agree with uh, the comments just made. Um, I, I think the the appeal of alternative forms of collateral, movable assets registries, or or you know payments data, that sort of thing, transaction data. Uh, it's it's unfortunate that its appeal is driven by the fact that there is an, a a very difficult problem that still needs to be addressed that we haven't yet cracked. This issue of uh, either social norms that limit control over property or legal barriers to you know to having title outright as a as woman and so uh, obviously uh, you know on the one hand there is an opportunity to take advantage of these novel approaches to ad- to address collateral in different ways but it's important to recognize that in some measure that might also be a coping mechanism uh, due to that other issue that still also needs to be addressed and and actually the uh, this uh, the this discussion raised a question that i'd posed to you jennifer re- related to um, uh, the financial sector as an industry itself so something that usaid is also interested in in advancing gender equality and equity is is looking at uh, um, women's women's empowerment from a leadership in the financial sector standpoint, supervisory leadership, um, board representation, uh, management, uh, ownership of financial institutions, uh, not simply line staff, uh, for example, where where you sometimes see more gender disparity. And uh, there's a question for me there about the data that authorities would have on the makeup of the financial sector uh, itself, of, of regulated entities, for example. Uh, and um, whether supervisors generally would view that as relevant to their mandate, and uh, because it is something that's a little bit, you know, it's not about uh, financial stability risks directly or per se. It's about it's about understanding how the financial sector is evolving and being responsive to to uh, the needs of a di- more diverse group of of uh, people. So but which I, that's Jennifer, where you question.
1: focused on there? Jennifer Long or Jennifer
4: Elliot? I'll, I'll actually open it to both. I think both of yes, you would have some yes. great insights. Okay,
1: so uh, Jennifer uh, Elliot, why don't you start?
6: So well, it's a good question, Paul, and I think there's more. There's a, there's a great deal of interest. So we we've, we've started doing a, a few um, small regional webinars. On in different regions in the globe on, on this exact topic for central banks really thinking about their own leadership and then and with a spillover effect into, into the private sector because it, it generally does have. And there's a huge amount of interest but not a lot of data yet. So I think that's an area that we could be quite fruitful. I think um, Jennifer Long will say more but we do have some significant evidence that it makes a big difference Um, to resilience, which should be what we're all after. So I'll let Jen go
3: next. Okay. Jennifer Long. Thanks. So maybe picking up on a a couple of the points so far. So just just on this specific question about leadership. So this is something that we we cover very explicitly in the toolkit. Um, And building on some of the work that that the IMF did a few years ago, other supervisory authorities are now starting to gather the academic evidence that shows uh, that there are better supervisory outcomes for prudential and conduct risk management on boards in institutions with gender balance boards. And so the, the evidence, I think, is building that means that supervisors really need to start thinking about how this is a core part of their activities um and w- obviously that may well have inclusion uh benefits and fairness benefits but for their own kind of traditional mandates i think it's going to be important so i think as, as jennifer elliott was saying we're now starting to see a bit more evidence to support uh getting this into into the mainstream and this is something that the, the toolkit can help a- address and if i may also just touch on the on the kind of on the previous point which was about um Barriers to access around collateral, for example, um, and where we have sort of uh, those sort of structural barriers. Again, clearly in this in this toolkit, we can't address all of those. But what we do do is a couple of things which which may help authorities when they're when they're navigating what they can do so firstly is we do give examples of some of the policy interventions that have been made in some countries to try to address some of those structural barriers so things like uh, registries of movable collateral for example to try to uh, broaden the kind of collateral that women can provide uh, for for access to credit but then we also in our product design um, module we look very much at how Uh, supervisors can can really challenge um, uh, financial services providers to think very creatively about what they can do within the applicable framework to provide ways of getting over these barriers that enable women to have access anyway there are plenty of examples of, of where that has worked and this is something where we think that supervisors can play a role in keeping that dialogue and that that is a core part of what we're trying to do in terms of ensuring that Uh, customers are treated fairly in relation to access and their use of financial services, as well as making sure that we build in that kind of gender equality that we're aiming for. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Jennifer. I'm going to come back to you in a second uh, on a couple of the questions that relate to Subtech from the audience. Uh, And uh, Andrew, I saw uh, you wanted to make a point. uh, So uh, uh, we'll give Jennifer a chance to read the questions uh, and uh, uh, hear from you.
5: Yeah, thanks. Just a, just a brief point to, to emphasize uh, a thread throughout some of these comments, and that is, you know, it's absolutely important uh, to recognize the relationship between um, addressing the situation of women and other, other uh, aspects of diversity and its connection with the mandates of financial and supervisory institutions. But I think it's also important to point out that it's also the right thing to do, quite apart from whether it's, it's a question of, of uh, core to their mandates or not. Uh, to go off script a little bit, I mean these institutions are, are embedded in the societies in which they serve, and if they don't look like and aren't uh, representative of the of the populations that they're put in place to to serve, then that then that's a problem in and of itself. So I'm very hopeful that um, we can get beyond the the issue of why a financial and supervisory institutions should be addressing this issue to how they can. And I think the toolkit is is a great step in that direction.
1: Thanks, it's important to do the right thing for supervisors. So that, that's a really good point, Andrew. Uh, so Jennifer Long, back to you now. Uh, the, a couple of questions from Max and Carol are related to Subtech. And I know that in the work we did with our partner authorities, they were at various uh, different stages of development in Subtech. So perhaps you can just give a, a, a general question about uh, the, tech, uh, the, the, uh, the toolkit is not yet ready. Uh, it's only been partially tested against some of these, but perhaps a, an insight into the kind of subtech we saw and how it might be used uh, with the toolkit.
3: yeah, so so I think the key thing about um, the technology that we that that is useful for supervisors in relation to building gender in is to think about the fact that it it's really not often no different from what you need to be an effective supervisor in every other part of your mandate. So this is really about, uh, all the different techniques uh, and te- and technologies that exist to enable you to collect data, process it, and analyze it, and then work out how to use it and see what impact it's having. So uh, a lot of what we, a lot of the the kind of technology approach that we that we build in the toolkit um, capitalizes on the kind of technology development that many supervisors are trying to do anyway, maybe for their prudential supervision. Um, So uh, effectively, a lot of this is about enhancing their capacity to collect and then analyse big data sets. So obviously you need different kind of physical infrastructure. You also need different um, analytical capabilities, both sort of technological and then your staff as well. I think rather than focusing on kind of you know any one technology, a lot of this is really about making sure that when supervisory authorities are developing their their tech capabilities, they're thinking about what's the gender thread that runs through here, and they're building that in. Whether it's by adding in specific fields in their data sets which are collecting, uh, you know, gen which are which are gender disaggregating, for example, the customer profile of an institution. or or whether it's using more sophisticated techniques to enable them to um, deduce gender balance from free text information by using kind of natural language processing on a a free data uh, thing, or whether it's web scraping to see how women are responding differently to men to products uh, through uh, social media or other channels that are available. So uh, all the fundamental kind of concepts that we're using are really the things that supervisors are thinking about for the whole range of their work. And what we're giving is lots of examples of where you can build in that gender dimension through the work that you're looking to do to gen- to develop your general supervisory capability. I think the other thing, though, going back to a point that Andrew mentioned earlier, where clearly there are some Uh, specific technologies that may help overcome some some barriers that women face are about means of identification and and obviously with biometric we have a a kind of particular um, technological opportunity uh, which supervisors themselves are not going to be using but which is part of the kind of arsenal of questions that supervisors may be asking firms which is well how are you using technology to help overcome some of these barriers that might traditionally have made it more difficult for women to access your products.
1: Great, thank you, uh, Jennifer. Um, Dudazelle De has a question on insurance products, and let me uh, take that uh, from the work we did last year and this year is that there are many different insurance products uh, for designed for women, some uh, designed simply with a branding of a female or women's product and, and not really distinct from other products, other products, um, organizations are, are tailoring their products to women and using that. And the work we did uh, in Peru, Colombia, uh, Zambia and, and Kenya demonstrated that there are financial institutions that are looking uh, to d- develop those types of products. And uh, Duzil, you could look at our report on how uh, regulators can use sex disaggregated data to improve financial inclusion, to see some uh, good examples there. So thanks for that question. Uh, we're, uh, we're coming back to the moderator's prerogative. I'm going to ask, uh, go off script a little bit here. Uh, we're at the brink of uh, uh, COP26. Uh, and I'd like uh, perhaps your views on whether the attention to climate risks uh, can potentially overtake, uh, or is there a danger of it overtaking the issues of female inclusion, or is there a connection? Um, let me start with Mariana.
0: Um, I guess the problem is trying to break them apart, I'm trying to think of you know, climate change or gender equality as competing priorities. Uh, there is sufficient evidence that demonstrates that women are disproportionately affected by climate change. Um, but the important question is, again, how do we build a more inclusive society that is sustainable? And you can't have one without the other, you can't have um, a sustainable production system that is not harming to the planet um, that is not inclusive and the same, uh, on the other hand, you can design uh, and have a product that benefits society in general, if it's on the other hand harming the planet so um I, I would say that, um, when we think about this kind of questions we we need to have a holistic approach. And I know that that is um, generic and that is not sufficiently specific and that people want the specific action points they have to do A, B, and C. Um, but the reality is that the first step is to think about, again, what is it that we want? What is it that we hope to achieve? And then do the right thing and, and build on those, uh, build on the data that we have, understand the gaps that we need to address uh, and work together. And again, it's all very general and it's not too specific. Um, but I would only caution any, anybody who, who's working on this space, who thinks that uh, you can't fix gender equality um, without addressing climate change, that that is not the way to go about it. And the, the more that we force ourselves to go back to the drawing board and do that exercise, of let's rethink our priorities again, I think the, the more we're likely to succeed.
1: Thanks for that. Uh, Andrew, uh, your thoughts?
5: Sure. I mean, I, I totally agree with Mariana. I mean, the issues are not uh, you you can't you can't separate them. And in fact, any effort to address any large systemic issue, if you're not taking into consideration gender and diversity considerations, the responses to it are not going to be equitable and not going to be effective. Um, I mean, you know, to to take a specific example, when we come to the kinds of responses that are uh, and actions required to address climate. Uh, renewable energy is, is central to central to that. And we know that uh, for the kinds of um, services and, and, and potential that are offered by digital technologies, you need to have, you know, steady supplies of power. So when you think about where women are, what businesses women are involved in in the informal economy, for example, how do the energy systems that are being transitioned towards low or, or no carbon, how are those uh, supporting uh, women as as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as workers, or as or as uh, you know, in the household. So these questions are 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 linked at the macro level in terms of in terms of the kinds of uh, structural and systemic risks, and they're they're linked at the micro level. I mean, this is this is an issue you, you could look at not just in terms of climate, but in debt. You know, in terms of debt questions as well. And I'm really happy to see that the IMF now has a gender advisor to think about how and support support it supporting countries to deal with debt sustainability issues they're they're looking at gender as, as a as a critical component of uh, those responses so it's not an either or it's a, it's a both and how
1: okay good not an either or Jennifer uh, h- how about you any comments
6: we definitely see them in the same way as, as wrapped together in uh, in a in an inclusive recovery yeah, i think in terms of Climate impact also, think about the ability to manage climate impact and, and natural disasters and so on. The more inclusion you have, the better the, the, the recovery and the resilience and the pandemic was, of course, an example of where, where countries were better able to get payments to, to, to women and be more inclusive. Um, Things were economic recovery is a little um, more assured or on a better footing, and so it's similar. When there are flooding or agricultural disasters, you want you want a more inclusive financial sector that's going to to help recover from those. So it's absolutely related.
1: Thanks. And Paul, uh, I I noticed in the last uh, newsletter from the uh, USAID that uh, climate was uh, figuring prominently in some of the articles. Uh, is, uh, is 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 uh, uh, female financial inclusion going to be overtaken by uh, the climate
4: risk issues? Uh, I, I you know I think this is a, a both situation. We we have uh, we have a lot of uh, investments now centered on women's economic empowerment, and that will continue. In fact, just uh, uh, fairly recently, we launched the GIA fund or GIA fund, which is the Gender Equality and ec- Uh, Equity and Equality Action Fund, which for FY21 is expected to be somewhere around $100 million. And that is intended to be a way to help uh, support women's economic empowerment uh, issues, to address gender-based violence issues, and to address um, issues that lead to vulnerability in a wide range of circumstances. And, and as Jennifer was just saying, climate is one of those areas in which if you are living on the margin or if you are historically excluded, or if you don't have very many resources, then when some sort of an uh, economic or income shock hits, you are not in a position to sustain your livelihood. So from a resilience standpoint, there's, there's certainly a connection to be made between uh, our climate efforts and, um, and women's economic empowerment um, the uh, the the other point that, that's perhaps worth making here, uh, you know, as I mentioned, this uh, this GIA fund also includes a focus on gender-based violence, and I think one role that we haven't really touched on yet uh, for supervisory authorities from a data standpoint is getting insight on uh, gender divides within the financial sector, and again, from a financial resilience, from a financial empowerment standpoint. That can then be used by other uh, policymakers, other ministries that also have, uh, you know, mandates of in some form advancing women's equality or women's economic empowerment. And gender-based violence is is often something that you see when there are financial stressors on the household, uh, or when there is, uh, you know, tensions over how uh, control over resources at the household or or business level are. Uh, are, are are managed and uh, and insights that financial s- sector uh, authorities can uh, can generate can enable effective policy responses in those other domains.
1: Well, thank you. So we uh, looks like the questions are are, are are drying up. so let me uh, give you the opportunity as as funders um, and, and Paul uh, will will let you wrap up uh, at the uh, at the end here. But as funders uh, and uh, those who can uh, influence capacity building efforts, um, what uh, what advice would you have for our audience that is made up of supervisors of other civil society organizations and other capacity building organizations? Uh, What advice would you give them uh, about the issue of uh, of female financial uh, inclusion? Uh, And uh, where could they focus their resources and uh, and efforts best. So let me uh, let me start with Jennifer Elliott.
6: So I mean, I think it's important for supervisors to see this as central to the mandate. That's the most important thing. And then the next step is to figure out how you're going to frame the the execution of your mandate, so to speak, where you can where you can tuck it in to your your everyday work. Um, something like the Toronto Centre Toolkit might help you with that analysis and taking it forward in a very concrete way.
0: Thank you. Mariana? Hi, Gary. I think it's important to keep an eye on, on the reason why. It's about financial stability, it's about financial integrity, it's about the responsibility to have and build trust in the system, it's about the responsibility to protect your consumers and their rights, and that in, includes everyone. And then, uh, Starting from that, think about your capacity. Think about, you know, are you ready? Are you living up to that commitment to inclusivity, and um, be it uh, gender or you know, more than that. And by you know, promoting diversity within your own ranks, are you, you know, collaborating sufficiently with other institutions? And what are your plans to take this forward?
5: Great, thank you. Uh, Andrew? Uh, yeah, thanks. I mean, two. I'd say there are two two things. Um, one is is as we've discussed a, a number of times today, supporting actors to um, to collect, analyze, and use uh, disaggregated data, whether that's by gender, uh, sex, ethnicity, race, age, um, sexual orientation, what have you. Uh, that, that that's a, a critical part of the equation and actors like the Toronto Centre have been, have been very good at supporting institutions to do this. Um, the other is, is uh, applying a gender lens when it comes to uh, thinking about financial inclusion um, and, and figuring, thinking through ways to help women access capital and increase the quality of financial products that are provided uh, and, and services as well. So I know that uh, the Toronto Center is developing a toolkit for authorities to uh, self-assess uh, gender awareness um, and technological options. So I think the, the, these are all great steps, and, and um, I, I'm assuming and very hopeful that the, the, the clients of the Toronto Center are, are, are this is meeting their demands because that's what we've always heard that there's a, they get the big picture, they just need some practical support.
1: Yes, thanks, uh, Andrew. That uh, that was part of the mandate that we had for this project. Uh, as Paul will attest, uh, that uh, this was not something that we wanted to build and would remain on a on a bookshelf. It was something that was uh, technically um, proficient. It was uh, uh, applicable to supervisors at all levels and at all capacities, uh, and almost a, a, a pick and choose. So, Paul, last words uh, uh, for you. Um, uh, you were. Um, I was uh, wondering whether you were going to pose a question to the panelists, as you've done in the past, but uh, let's let you uh, take a few minutes to summarize uh, your thoughts and the ideas behind this project and the work that USAID is doing.
4: Well, first, thanks of all. Thanks again, uh, Anatole and team, for all the work that you've done with the Toronto Center on this. And I really do encourage everyone to pay attention to the Toronto Center's uh, uh, email uh, updates and newsletter updates and their website for when the toolkit is. Uh, completed by the end of this year Uh, so that's perhaps the most important thing to your question of advice for supervisors uh, I'm not sure that I I uh, I'm in a position to offer advice to supervisors so I'll just offer a couple observations and uh, and uh, and leave it at that I would say first of all uh, as I think Andrew mentioned um, a focus on gender and women's economic empowerment is consistent with your mandate it's not just consistent with your mandate, but it is a means to fulfill your mandate. Uh, so I think that's number one. And number two, don't underestimate your leadership uh, uh, or ability to influence through your leadership, uh, the financial sector and financial entities that you oversee. Uh, as as uh, I mentioned earlier, one of our hypotheses was that sex aggregated data was not fully used either for capacity reasons or for uh, perhaps doubt or a lack of clarity or understanding or buy-in uh, with respect to how sex or segregated data relates to certain policy objectives or uh, uh, you know the day-to-day uh, uh, issues that any financial service provider faces. And um, there's a role to play for supervisors to help connect those dots and to help shed a light on where this can actually help address certain things and uh, sometimes uh, supervisors are are having to uh, wield a stick so to speak uh, with industry and in this case I think it's more about offering a carrot um, because I think better using sex segregated data is in the interest of Uh, policymakers from a women's economic empowerment standpoint, but as we were saying earlier from a financial stability and a risk management and a financial inclusion standpoint as well. And then lastly, um, I would, uh, going to the intent behind the toolkit itself, I would encourage uh, supervisory authorities to not assume that you need to be the most advanced in terms of technological readiness to start having a discussion about using sex- or segregated data, there are things as the toolkit outlines that you can do that are feasible given your particular environment, your uh, your industry's particular uh, readiness to use different types of technological solutions that enable you to use sex- or segregated data. So don't let the fact that you might not be fully AI-enabled, for example. Uh, prevent you from from taking uh, the first couple steps and using it more effectively. There are many ways that um, STD can be used that that don't require those really advanced technologies, and the toolkit can help help clarify what those are. Um, so with that, yeah, I would just say I, I we're really gratified uh, with the work that the Toronto Center has done, and uh, you might have seen folks in the chat. You might have seen my colleague Jennifer Hansell. She posted further information on the, on the GIA Fund. So I, I encourage you all to, to look at that and that articulates uh, very well uh, what we hope to do more of as an agency, not just with respect to technology and, and data, but with respect to women's economic empowerment broadly. So uh, with that, I'll just uh, hand it back to you, Anatole, and say thank you again.
1: Well, thank you, Paul. And thank, again, thank you USAID for their support and, and our other funders for their support. Uh, what I, um, and I appreciate that, uh, that uh, the, the point on uh, your uh, Samantha Power's uh, remarks on gender and climate dialogue, the state fragility nexus. So that spoke right to uh, the topic, we, the question we had. Um, what I heard from, from this uh, uh, august group is that supervisors and capacity builders have the opportunity to influence um, it's in their mandate to consider female financial empowerment, and that it, if it, even if it isn't in your mandate, it's the right thing to do. Uh, and uh, for all of us, uh, I want to thank you, uh, panelists, uh, Jennifer, uh, along as well, for your generous time and, and uh, thoughtful insights. I appreciate the audience for their questions that have uh, come up. And I think that uh, you have uh helped uh, set the uh, minds of supervisors to be thinking about the value of gender aware supervision. And uh, just a reminder that we will be releasing the toolkit uh, at the end of this year. And as Paul said, watch for our uh, email alerts on that rollout or visit our website regularly for the interesting tools like the Toronto Centre Notes, Uh, copies of this webinar uh, and a podcast of this webinar will be available and as are others. Uh, in particular, our uh, program on building back better and our new uh, series that will start on climate risks. So thank you uh, everybody for joining us. Uh, it was great to see you all uh, and uh, someday we'll do this in person. Uh, thank you very much and uh, good day, good afternoon, good night and good evening, wherever the uh, may be. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.